We are coming to the end today of our Transforming Prayer series. Uh, I pray and trust that this last couple months have been good for you uh, as God's been taking us deeper and deeper into prayer and uh, pressing us to, to pray maybe in some new ways or over some new things or uh, maybe even just opening our hands a little bit in prayer and letting him do some things uh, that he wants to do rather than maybe what we want to do. And um, we're going to kind of pull that all together today with this final message here called Prayer is Mission Critical. And uh, I think you're going to see why that is as we dig into the scriptures. But I want to start by kind of reviewing and looking back on this last 40 days of transforming prayer. If you've been with us, you know we've been in kind of this 40-day prayer challenge to see how God might answer and respond to us based on Jeremiah 33.3. And uh, I was able this week to gather several testimonies of how God has met people in these 40 days of prayer. And I want to share those with you throughout the sermon this morning. I want to start with one uh, that I thought was just a great one to start us off. One of our men shared this story with me this week. He said, over the last 40 days of prayer, one thing, ironically, I was praying for was a deeper desire for prayer. After the sermon on November 13th, I was approached by a brother in the church and asked if I wanted to pray together that evening over the phone. I reluctantly said yes. Through the afternoon, I was thinking over and over, I really don't want to do this. But about an hour before he was to call and pray over the phone with me, I felt God speak into my heart and say something like this. He said, you've been asking me to give you a desire to be in prayer more, and yet you're fighting me on this. And it clicked with me that God was answering my prayer through another brother in our church. When he called, we prayed for well over an hour, and it was wonderful, and I told him, that uh, I told him after about what I just told you, that we, and we laughed and cried as well. He said, I'm so thankful for this series. As a young man, I never understood what the need for prayer was because God already knows what we need. I'm coming to understand now that it's more about getting us in line with his will and mission. What a great takeaway from this series and from 40 Days of Prayer, and I think it ties in perfectly to the message today, because that's exactly what we want to see here, is that when it comes to prayer, we don't achieve ministry, we receive ministry through prayer. There's a lot of things in this world where it feels like, All right, I just need to do more, work harder, buckle up, and go for it, as if we are the ones achieving things, but when it comes to ministry, when it comes to the work of God, it's not something that we achieve, we don't do it. We receive it from the Lord through the Holy Spirit as we submit ourselves to him in prayer. I'm going to show you that through several avenues this morning in the scripture. So let's start with this. Number one, pray to start. When it comes to ministry, when it comes to the mission, we have to pray to start things off. And we see the first example of this with Jesus in Luke chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. It says, And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan... And was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days, and when they, had, when they were ended, he was hungry. Now, this verse starts off saying that he was returning from the Jordan. And so that means he's, he's coming now from his baptism. So Jesus has just been baptized by John the Baptist, and now he is coming from that, and he's entering, getting ready to enter into his public ministry on the earth. But between his baptism and ministry... It says he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness for 40 days of prayer and fasting. 
So before Jesus went out to start ministry, he started with 40 days of prayer to prepare his heart. Now, a lot of times the emphasis in this passage, a lot of times, will get put on the temptation. This is when Satan comes and he tempts Jesus three times, and Jesus resists the temptation, which is important, and that's great. But that most likely came at the end of, or maybe even after the 40 days of prayer and fasting. Because the emphasis in the first part was not the temptation, that was just Satan's reaction to what Jesus was doing to get his heart and himself ready for the ministry that was about to come. The real purpose was to prepare himself, and we see that later on in the chapter in verse 14. It says, And Jesus returned, after the prayer and fasting, he returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report about him went out through all the surrounding country, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. And so Jesus, God in the flesh, still felt it was necessary to pray to start his ministry. Secondly, we see it with the early church in Acts chapter 1, verse 4. It says, And while staying with them, he, Jesus, ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, from John, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So Jesus is like, hey, wait. Right? Don't, don't run off into ministry yet. I know you want to go like, spread the gospel and start the church and do all the stuff. He's like, but wait for the Holy Spirit. And so they do. They go back to Jerusalem. We talked about this the last couple of weeks. right? They go back to Jerusalem. They get in the upper room, and they stay there. And in verse 14 it says, all of these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer. As they waited on God, as they waited on the Holy Spirit to come, they started with prayer. And then we know Acts 2 comes in verse 1. Holy Spirit comes down, empowers them, and they go out, preach the gospel, and start the church. But first, it started with prayer in the upper room. So Jesus starts with prayer. The early church started with prayer before they launched into ministry. And then we see the apostles also make this first priority in Acts chapter 6. Again, we've already looked at this verse earlier in the series, but it says, But we devote ourselves, we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word, and what they said pleased the whole gathering. And then we see the result, and the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. So the apostles say, hey, listen, if we're going to do more ministry here, if we're going to keep the ministry going, we have to start with prayer. That has to be first priority. All of the other ministry is going to flow from there. Remember, this is when the, the, the widows were saying, hey, we're getting left out over here. We need some help. We need you to better organize this ministry thing. They're like, okay, yeah, that, that does need to happen. But first, we need to devote ourselves to prayer. Not only did the apostles make it that priority, but it says the whole gathering. So in other words, the whole church said, yes, we affirm that, we agree with that, that all other ministry flows first from prayer. And because they prioritized prayer and they did it first, the word of God continued to increase and the number of disciples multiplied greatly. The mission continued to advance because it started with prayer. You know, when, when God first called, called me into church planting, I was honestly, this is going to sound crazy to some of you, I was, I was actually excited. <laughs> I was excited for the challenge. I was excited for the adventure of starting something new. I've always kind of had a little bit of an entrepreneur spirit in me. I, we started a, a business straight out of college. I've started ministries at churches. And so I was like, all right, let's do this. Let's go start a new church. 
And so I started diving, I started researching, I started reading books, I started talking to others who were doing it, I started going to conferences and checking out different networks and just like all in. And as I started looking at all these different church planting networks that were going out and doing the work and helping churches get planted, I found two or three that seemed like, all right, these could be a good fit for us, like theologically and and missionally, and like this is kind of what we're looking to do. And so I started getting, started going through their processes, and so I started filling out the applications, and it would take several hours most of the time to get one of these, filled. they're pretty, pretty in-depth. And so I started filling one out, I would get to the end of filling out this application and get ready to submit it, and God would be like, yeah, that's not the one. I was like, really? Like, you couldn't tell me that five hours ago? Like, it would, like, and so then I'd go on to the second one, I started filling out the next application, I'd get to the end, and he'd be like, yeah, that's not the one. This happened like three, I'm a little slow sometimes, so this happened like three times before I finally caught on that I was trying to get ahead of the Lord in this. What I needed to do is I needed, instead of just jumping straight into go, 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 go mode, I needed to stop and I needed to pray. And so we stopped, we kind of pulled back, and Courtney and I spent the next couple months just praying, all right, God, what do you want us to do? Where do you want us to go? Who do you want us to work with? Like, what's, what, how do you want to plant this church? And sure enough, that summer, he led us to a man named Trent Griffith who connected us with what, which, which was, what was then Harvest Bible Fellowship. And we went on then to plant Harvest St. Louis. You see, the, the calling was right. I knew what God had called us to do. But my starting point was wrong. Sometimes I think we get there we're excited, we love the Lord, we want to serve Him, we want to go, and as soon as we feel like we hear something from the Lord, man, we just go, we just run. And God says, hold on, hold on, we got we to gotta start this thing off right. We got to start with prayer. John Bunyan, uh, famous Puritan pastor, author, he said this, he said, you can do more than pray after you have prayed, but you cannot do more than pray until you have prayed. Because it all flows from prayer. Starting with prayer sets us to receive what God wants to do. We start with prayer so that it sets our hearts, it sets our minds, it sets us up to be ready to hear from the Lord and receive from Him what He wants to accomplish for the mission. So pray from the start, that's the first part. Number two this morning, Prayer is mission critical. We need to pray for direction. Pray for direction. Again, we see examples of this starting with Jesus in Luke chapter 6. He prays for direction before he chooses his 12 apostles that he's going to enlist for ministry. Look at this in verse, Luke chapter 6, verse 12. It says, In these days he went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples and chose from them twelve whom he named apostles. So first of all, when it says, in these days, he called his disciples, what what it's telling us there is like, Jesus has, at this point, he's already been doing ministry, right? Jesus was actually teaching and healing and doing miracles and all this stuff long before he ever enlisted the twelve to do it with him. So at this point, he has this large group of people that are following him around. We don't know how many exactly, but he had... He had collected a gathering. He collected a following that were following him around as he was teaching and doing the miracles. And now he was ready to choose like his top spiritual leaders out of this group. Right? Let's say there's, I don't know, 50 people or whatever. Uh, he's going to choose his top 12 guys now. 
The guys who are going to not only do ministry with him, but are going to lead the charge into the next generation and plant the church and grow the church and do missions and all of that comes down to these guys. This is a big decision. And it says that all night he continued in prayer. Even Jesus, who was God in the flesh, felt it necessary to pray, to seek direction, to seek wisdom, to seek confirmation from the Father for what the mission was going to look like. Again, we see it also with the early church. As, it start, as the church gets started, as the, the people are saved at Pentecost, 3,000 people, and the word starts to go out, they're like, wait, now what do we do next? And that next step of direction comes in Luke chapter, I'm sorry, Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through 47. It says, they devoted themselves to the, to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So just picture this. The church is brand new, just getting started, never existed before. So they're all like, yay, we believe in Jesus. Now what? Like, like there's no precedent, right? There's no like Bible study set up. There's no like curriculum. There's nothing like, what's next? So they get together every day and they start with the basics, right? We're going we're gonna to study God's word. We're going to hear from the apostles and their teaching. We're going to have fellowship together. We're going to build community and we're going to pray. We're going to ask God, hey, what do you want us to do next? What's the next step in the mission? And as they prayed, we see God start to unroll all the things that he's going to call his church to for the next 2,000 plus years. Right? It says, as they prayed, awe came upon every soul. They got to experience God's presence among them as they sought him in prayer. And many wonders and signs were being done. They got to experience God's power flowing through the church as they're praying and seeking God for direction of what's next. They were all together experiencing God's community of unity in the body of faith. They were selling and distributing their stuff and giving to anyone who had need. They got to experience God's generosity flowing through them as they felt led to care for one another and help one another. And said so they had favor with all the people. They had to experience God's love for one another in ways that they never had before. And because of all of this, because they're praying, because they're seeking God, because God's moving them along in the mission, it says the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. The mission continued to advance and the church continued to grow, not because they were doing stuff, because they were submitting themselves to the Lord in prayer on a daily basis and letting God move through them and move among them on the mission. So we see Jesus do it, we see the early church do it, and again, we see the church leaders do it when it came time to continue to move the mission forward in Acts chapter 13. Look at this in verse 1, it says, Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Mananaean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. 
While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So again, like sometimes I think we can read the Bible and we think that it's, it's just like this kind of stale story. But like pull this out for a moment and picture this is a church, right? It's just, like a, just like this church. This was just a, a local church in Antioch that had some leaders, right? They called them prophets and teachers. These were the leaders of the church. And the leaders are saying, hey, what's the next step in the mission? What, 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 what should we do next for God and for the kingdom? And if you know anything about leadership, whether it be in the business world or in church or anywhere else, anytime you get a group of leaders together asking questions about vision, that usually leads to meetings and discussions and budgets and plans and programs. And like, all right, let's get this done. Let's plan some stuff and let's execute it. And that's not what they did. At least that's not what they did first. I think they probably did some of that. But first, it says they started with worship and prayer. They prayed for direction that God would show them what was next. And it says the Holy Spirit did. The Holy Spirit said to them, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul. That's the direction I want to go. I want to take these guys in a new direction on the mission. And out of this prayer meeting comes what we know today as missions and church planting all started right here with leaders on their face praying and asking God, what do you want to do next? They prayed for direction. You know, as we follow Christ, we oftentimes have this, like I said, we have this desire to serve him more, to to do more, to, to follow him, but sometimes even though we have the heart to serve, we're missing the direction. Right? Like, God, how, how do you want to do this? Where do you want to do this? Where do you want to send me? Well, again, I got, a, I got a testimony this week that was so great for this. One of the ladies in our church was feeling this, same feeling of, I want to do more, but I'm not sure what that looks like yet. And so that, she made that her focus of her 40 days of prayer, and this is what she shared. She said, my prayer this last 40 days was that God would increase the reach of our family. It's a good prayer, right? Like, God, use us more for you, for your glory. She said, I had some ideas about how I'd like God to do that. That always goes well. That, of course, have not been answered yet. However, God laid on my husband's heart to commit to small group leadership after quite a while of thinking it over. She said, it's humbling and encouraging for God to work on our hearts to be in alignment for serving him. This couple, they've been thinking about it. They've been praying about possible small group leadership, apprentice, moving in that direction. And through this time of submitting to God in prayer, God gave them, all right, this is the next step. What a beautiful thing. But we have to submit in prayer. Praying orients us to receive the direction that God wants to move. Just like pulling up your GPS or pulling up the map and a compass, trying to figure out, like, Prayer is me opening up saying, all right, God, where do you want to send me? What direction do you want me to go? And it orients our hearts to be ready to receive that. So pray from the start. Pray for direction number three. Pray for power. If we're going to do the mission of God, we have to have the power of God working in us and through us. Again, we see this start at Pentecost. Acts chapter 1, verse 14. They're all in the upper room. They're praying together. They prayed together for 10 days. 
specifically that God would send the power, send the Holy Spirit to come and to do the work. And then the Holy Spirit comes down, they're filled with the gospel, they go out and they preach, and 3,000 people are saved at the first sermon, which, as far as we can tell, lasted probably about 10, 15 minutes. And God's power just swept through that place. And at the end of Peter's sermon in Acts chapter 2, in verse 41, it says this, So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. I can't even imagine. Right? Talk about a move of God's power on that first day of the church. I read a book by J.D. Greer a year or two ago called Jesus Continued, and he said this. He said, the early church prayed for 10 days, preached for 10 minutes, and 3,000 people were saved. He said, today, we pray for 10 minutes, preach for 10 days, and three people are saved. He said, what a difference the placement of those zeros can make. Sometimes we, we get it flipped, thinking that prayer is just the thing that we tack on to the end of all the other stuff that we're doing for God, and that somehow that will make it work. But prayer is the place where we go first to receive the power of God to do the mission of God that we cannot do on our own. We see it again with Peter and John when they're arrested and threatened in Acts chapter 4. We talked about this a couple weeks ago as well. Right? The, the leaders pull them and they're like, hey, stop preaching the gospel or we're going to throw you in prison. Like, knock it off. And then in verse 23, they go back to the church and it says when they were released, they went to their friends and they reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. This is the start of their prayer. And they get down deeper in verse 29. It says, And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders to perform through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. As I was studying this this week, a, a new piece stuck out to me that I hadn't caught, even just like two weeks ago when we were looking at this passage. It starts off when it comes back and says, they told the church what the chief priests and elders had said. Now that phrase for us right there doesn't really do much, but for them, that would have been like chill down the spine, right? Because the chief priests and the elders, they were like Jewish spiritual royalty they had all the power in the jewish world right they were the pillars of power like think about like like if we today if we took like the president and the pope and like put them together right that would be like the power that these guys held in the jewish community and they said the ones with the power said stop preaching the gospel And the church's response was prayer. But not just any prayer. They said they lifted up their voices to God and they said, Sovereign Lord. They started their prayer with a confession of the one who truly had the power. Like we know they think they have the power. We know that they, but, but Lord, you are the one. You are in control. You are the sovereign Lord. You are the one who has the power. And you've told us to preach the gospel. And so we need your power now to help us 
to do that. And they pray, they say, grant us boldness to speak. Forget about their power. Fill us with your power so we can continue to go out and preach with boldness in the face of persecution. They prayed, stretch out your hand to heal with signs and wonders and show them that you are the one who has the true power. And as they prayed, I love this, it says, as they prayed, the place was shaken and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. God granted them Holy Spirit power to keep advancing the mission because they prayed. You know, as disciples of Jesus today, Jesus tells us that others will know his disciples by our love. Right? Like That's a big deal in the Gospels. And yet, if we're honest, we oftentimes struggle to love like Jesus loves. Anybody else feel that this week? I know you're all around family this weekend, so like, come on, right? Like, sometimes it's hard to love like Jesus loves. The, the truth is, we don't actually have that power in ourselves. We can't do it on our own. We need the power of God working in us to love others the way that Jesus loves. And again, I got a testimony this week from one of our men in our church speaking to this. He said this. He said, for my 40-day prayer challenge, I prayed for a deeper love for my wife. Through this time spent with God, he has given me something very special. He revealed to me that she also is a child of God who was made in his image, and he granted me a cup that used to run dry and would affect our relationship for the negative. He's been filling that up daily with love and understanding for her. I now look at my wife with more love in my heart for her than I have ever had in the past. I praise God in his willingness to bless my life over and over again. What an awesome God. Sometimes we don't have the power to do it on our own. But if we pray to the one who has the power, he will give us the power. This brother prayed for power to change his heart, to change his marriage, and now he's able to love his wife and to live on mission with her in a new and a fresh way. You see, praying admits that we need to receive God's power to advance his mission. It's a humility thing. It's about us bowing before the Lord and saying, I can't, I, I can't do it. I need your power. I need your help. I need you, Lord. So pray from the start. Pray for direction. Pray for power. And then lastly, to achieve the mission, we have to pray for victory. Pray for victory. I saw two spots in Acts where it talked about, where I saw guys praying like this for victory when it came to the mission. One in opposition and one in opportunity. The first in opposition comes from Acts chapter 12. Verse 1 says this, But about that time Herod the king had laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword, and when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread. And when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Now, when Herod was about to bring him out on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains and sentries before the door regarding the prison. 
And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him, saying, Get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands. And the story goes on. I'm not going to read it all this morning. But verse 1, it started off with this. Herod laid violent hands on some, and he even killed James. Now, James here is one of the apostles, like James and John, like one of Jesus' top three guys. And this is the first time in the history of the church that one of the apostles has died and especially been martyred for the faith. This was a big hit. Right, like brand new church, just getting started, things are starting to grow, things are going great, and then all of a sudden, they take out one of our leaders. And then it says, when Herod saw that it pleased the Jews, he's trying to get favor, political favor with them. He's like, all right, I'll do it to Peter too. And so he arrests Peter, and so now the church is freaking out even more. They're like, all right, first James, now Peter, like we're going down fast. And so it says, earnest prayer was made for him by the church. Now, the, word was made, the words was made there in our English comes from one Greek word in the original text. And the important thing is that Greek word is what we call, in what we call the imperfect tense, which basically just means that it's a continuous action. So it's not just like, like they prayed one time. Like they were praying and praying and praying nonstop that God would rescue Peter because this was one of their leaders. They needed him. And it says that he was arrested during the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which is seven days long. And he wasn't going to execute him during the feast because that would, like, defile it and that would make the Jews even more mad. And so Peter's in prison possibly up to seven days here, which means the church was praying continuously for possibly up to seven days for Peter to be released. And we know that they're still praying because it says on that very night, the night before he's getting ready to be brought out of prison and be executed, On that very night, God sends the angel to miraculously free Peter from prison. And once Peter gets out, he goes and he finds the church. In verse 12, it says this. When he realized this, he went on to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. They're still doing it. right? They they don't know that he's out yet, so they're still praying now. Day 7, day 8, whatever it is, praying for God to deliver them, to deliver Peter from the opposition. From the persecution. To accomplish his mission, we have to pray for victory. Friends, it's not going to get easier. I don't know if you're tracking what's going on in the world. If you think that this thing is going to a better place, like it's, it's not going to get easier as Christians. Opposition is only going to grow. And if we want to continue to advance the mission, we have to constantly be praying for victory that only God can achieve. We're not going to achieve it on our own. So we pray for victory against opposition and then also pray for victory in opportunities. This one to me is even more convicting, honestly. In Acts chapter 16, Paul and Silas this time, two other leaders of the church, Paul and Silas now have been arrested and they've been falsely accused and imprisoned just for preaching the gospel, right? That's really all they were doing. And so they find themselves in prison in Acts chapter 16, and in verse 25 it says this, About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. And when the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, 
He drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing the prisoners had, been, had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas, and then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Now, first of all, it says about midnight, Paul and Silas are in prison, chained up, for a crime they didn't commit, falsely accused, in jail, under persecution, everything is going wrong, and they're praying and singing. That was their go-to, right? Like, like they weren't woe is me, they weren't beating themselves up, they weren't sleeping, they were praying and they were singing to the Lord. But I want you to notice here what they're praying for, it doesn't seem like they're praying for release. It doesn't seem like they're praying to get out of prison. I think they're praying for opportunities for the gospel to continue to go forward. And this is why. Take a look. It says, Then there was a great earthquake. The foundations were shaken. The doors were open. The bonds were unfastened. So God miraculously moves in power basically to set them free. But they don't escape. They don't jump up and run out. They stay. And it says, when the jailer woke up and he was about to kill himself, because back then if you were a Roman soldier and you failed at your post and the prisoners escaped, which is what he thought happened, because just by the way, anytime a jail busts open, guess what? The prisoners run away. That's what they do, right? Like that's, that's the go-to move, okay? So he's assuming they're gone. And so he's going to go ahead and kill himself so that he doesn't have to suffer that fate from his general or whoever's in charge of him. And if Paul and Silas would have let him do that, they for sure would have had a, had a way out, right? Like this was their chance for him to be out of the way, doors open, we can escape, we're good to go. And instead of letting him kill himself, Paul cries, I say, hey, no, 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 we're all still here. You're good. Don't harm yourself. See, Paul was not concerned about his release. He was concerned about this man's soul. He wasn't praying to just get out of the problem. He was praying that the gospel would continue to make progress and to bring more people to faith in Jesus Christ. He was praying for a spiritual victory, not just a physical victory. And in response to that, the jailer says, hey, what must I do to be saved? Like, obviously, you've got something I don't have here. Like, tell me about this God and tell me what I can do to be a part of this. And not only does he get saved, his whole family gets saved as a result of this. Because Paul and Silas were praying for spiritual victory even from a jail cell. Again, as I was sifting through some of the testimonies that came in this week, I I found a couple that, where people were praying for spiritual victories in their lives. I want to share those with you. One woman, she prayed over the opposition that was in her own mind, which we know is sometimes some of the hardest. She said, my prayer is that God would help me believe that my worth is found in him. My biological father was absent most of my teenage to adult life which created many insecurities even now as an adult. Recently, I had a function coming up that was bringing up those insecure feelings and emotions again. She said, but God is so good. 
She said, the great and hidden things that he has shown me is that I am his daughter, and I am clothed in his spiritual beauty and strength that will never fail. And then she shared some scripture. She said, Proverbs 31.10, she is worth far more than rubies. Matthew 10.31, so don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. And she said, and my favorite for that function, Proverbs 31.25, she is clothed with strength and dignity. She can laugh at the days to come. She said, on the day of that function, God took my insecurities and he took my anxiousness away and the function was fun with much laughter because her heart and her mind had found victory in who she was in Jesus Christ, not in the things of this world. Another lady shared this story about an unexpected victory. She said, for my 40 days of prayer, I chose something that I knew would probably take a lifetime to resolve and heal. She said, feeling discouraged, I wrote it on my bookmark anyway, just out of hopes that God would do something, anything, towards my situation. But in 40 days, to be honest, I have not seen much change in my situation. What I did not expect is that he did answer my prayer. He has not changed the situation, but he has done 40 days worth of work in my own heart and in my own life. He is changing me. She said, I now feel willing to wait and persevere in prayer over this mammoth request. He has changed my mourning into joy. He has given me a garment of praise while I wait patiently and expectantly for what God is going to do through this difficult journey, no matter how long it takes. Oftentimes, the biggest spiritual victories are the ones that God does in us not outside of us. It's changing our hearts and changing our minds and setting us up to follow him and to believe and to continue to seek him even when things aren't going our way. See, following Jesus on mission, it doesn't start here. It starts here. First, it has to be in your heart. First, it has to be you and the Lord together, in sync, walking together. And from that heart of joy for the Lord flows the mission of God that he calls us to as the church. And so praying positions us to receive spiritual victory even in the midst of our suffering. Even in the middle of the circumstances, even in the middle of the struggle, we can have spiritual victory through prayer. We don't achieve ministry. We receive ministry through prayer. I know here at Harvest, we talk a lot about making disciples. We talk a lot about the mission. We talk a lot about pressing forward and reaching people with the gospel. And we want to do all of those things because we have hearts that want to love and serve Jesus. We want to be a part of advancing his kingdom. But we can't do it alone. We can't do it by ourselves. I can't do it. As your pastor, our elders can't do it. Our small group leaders, we can't do it on our own. We need the Lord. His direction. We need His power to see the victories that He's called us to. We need to receive it all from Him. 
But in the New Testament, James tells us that we have not because we ask not. And so the first place we start when it comes to following God on the mission is we start in prayer and we start by asking God, will you show me, will you do it, will you lead as we follow and do whatever you call us to do? Prayer is mission critical. It's the only way any of this gets done. Will you stand with me? Let's pray. Let's respond to the Lord. Let's take our hearts to him and say, Lord, what do you want to do? What do you have for me? What's the mission ahead of me? What's the next step? What's the direction? And let's pray and ask God to show us and to give us the power that we need to follow him on mission today. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this day. Lord, thank you for this opportunity to come into your presence once again to worship you. We are here for you, God. We're not here for us, Lord. We're here for you. Lord, this morning, this church, this life, it's all about you. We want to glorify you, Lord. We want to fulfill your mission. But we we recognize, Lord, we need your help to do that. We need you. We need more of you. And so we're humbly asking you, God, to move. We're asking you to move in our hearts, to move in this church, Lord, to grant us whatever ministry you have for us. Lord, we are ready to receive it. Lord, give it so that we can fulfill your mission and your power. Lord, we're asking you to move in a fresh way this morning. Lord, thank you for calling us to yourself. Thank you, Lord, for putting us in your family, on your team. pray all this in Christ's name.